Want to make a podcast? Spotify has got a platform that lets you make one super easily and distribute it everywhere and even earn money all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else your podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. And when you want to take conversations with your fans to the next level, Q&A and polls are the best way to get them talking. With Spotify for podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since I've discovered Spotify for podcasters, I just enjoy putting these podcasts out for everyone to really like. I highly recommend you give it a try. It's so easy to use. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started today. It's 49ers Cutback Podcast Time. Welcome to the show. This is going to be a good one. I'm looking forward to talking about minicamp again because D'Amico Ryans gave us a lot of tidbits from what he had to say to the media. And really, there's just a lot of cool conversations that are going on surrounding the 49ers, including, you know, what potentially could be Debo Samuel's contract now that Cooper Cup, you know, goes ahead and signs his extension. Uh, very true. The, the the Cooper Cup extension is breaking, essentially. It's something that's happened here in the last hour and is a... a a little bit of an insight in terms of what you could be looking at now with Debo Samuel, and he yeah. gets a three-year extension worth seventy-five million dollars, seventy million of which I believe is guaranteed. Is actually seventy-five million guaranteed, eighty million dollar contract. So there you go. Uh, moves his total deal with the Rams currently to five years, one hundred and ten million, putting Debo us firmly in the odds of about twenty-two and a half million is what Cooper Cup's making right in that in that area. Yeah. So a little bit more friendly potentially for the 49ers and Debo Samuel. So potentially good news. So Debo holding out as long as he has uh, in this whole contract negotiations or demanding certain things. It definitely doesn't look like it's going to be going that direction for Debo Samuel. Yeah, it could become very realistic. His contract, you know, could be something the 49ers are easily able to meet. We know the Niners probably want to keep it around or around 20 million or under. I think financially that's about the amount of money that they wish to pay Debo Samuel. Uh, with Nick Bosa still on the horizon, you can't spend too much money on the wide receiver, but I'm sure they do want to get this thing done, and they will get it done at some point. And I think now this kind of leaves the framework for that. You've seen some of the big names come off the board now, whether it was Tyreek Hill getting the huge deal you know, with Miami after he True. got traded, uh, but now <clears throat> Cooper Cup, who is seen as by a lot as maybe the number one wide receiver right now currently doing it. So the framework of a deal now seems more apparent. I'm hoping that this will help inch the 49ers closer to getting a deal done before training camp. Agreed with you on that, and I'm hoping that is going to be the case as well. And look, it's going to be one of those things where the Niners are going to do what the Niners are going to do. 
uh, in this situation to handle this, to to work with Debo, to make this work for him, make this work for them. Um, but every time another wide receiver signs a contract, whether it's you know Christian Kirk in the offseason getting ridiculous amounts of money in it, ballooning the market, or Tyreek Hill and Cooper Cup, two of the better wide receivers in the league, getting deals and helping to kind of reset or lower set the market and get it into a little bit more reasonable area. Um, it, it sways things one way or the other for San Francisco. And look, right now it's swaying in the 49ers' favor, which is great. It doesn't necessarily mean it's not swaying it in Debo's favor. It just means, right, uh, teams like the, the Jacksonville Jaguars, teams that are on the lower end of the spectrum, Ant, uh, are going to do things to upset the market. And if you're a team that is looking to build, looking to continue to retool and, and keep yourself not only competitive, uh, but keeping yourself afloat and being able to address a number of positions for your franchise, you can't just jump the gun and start signing people to outrageous deals and outrageous contracts. You wait. You wait for other teams to start making some moves. You wait for that market to cool down a little bit uh, because in a shocking turn of events, and markets go up and down. They go both directions, and you strike when it's uh, most advantageous to you. Yeah, I, I think what's interesting is in 2017, the 49ers were the team that was shocking the market uh, by signing players to huge contracts in 20. 18 especially we you know with jarek mckinnon and some of those guys uh you have to make sure that you can bring players in and when you're one of these bottom dwelling teams you're trying to do anything you can to get you know better players and then when you have all those better players and especially when you draft and develop the way the 49ers do you're trying to hold on to those players so it's something that's been difficult right now and the 49ers are trying to navigate through not losing any of their really great football players so they can continue to build a roster that can go out and continually compete for championships so Debo Samuel's going to eventually get done. I don't think there's any way this doesn't because I think he's motivated to get, get a deal done. And I think the 49ers organization's motivated to get, get a deal done. And when you have you know two sets of people like that motivated, you're going to get it done. So I'm, I'm really excited about the potential. And I think the Cooper Cup definitely lays out the framework for it. Agreed. I, I think it definitely does. This is a positive thing for the 49ers. Uh, and let's stick with Debo. And instead, instead of talking a Debo contract, and let's talk Debo at minicamp because Debo was – at minicamp day one, he's still there day two. Shockingly, he'll be there day three. Uh, but having a little bit more fun today, openly out there with the guys, catching, joking, talking some smack to the defense, and uh, getting excited when deep balls from Trey Lance are getting completed. Uh, he definitely engaging more with the team. And while yesterday was a little bit more him running on the field and maybe doing some work stuff, today it was a little bit more lax day for him in terms of running around doing stuff being active and around his guys. We've heard that message being reiterated by D'Amico Ryans as well, talking about the defense and specifically the D-line, and we'll get to those comments. But Debo out there having a ball at minicamp, I love seeing that. Yeah, Kyle, you said kind of commented as well that Debo's normal Debo. You know, Debo's just going about his business normally. That means he's feeling comfortable around the organization. So there's no hostility when it comes to it. Debo understands its business. The 49ers organization understands its business. Uh, but when they're out there, they're just going to be friendly. And I think that that's good. Whenever you can be cordial in the midst of a decision like this, uh, it's it's a good thing for your organization. I think part of that goes with the way that Kyle Shannon and John Lynch are so transparent with how they handle these players. Um, there's an understanding always about where you sit. And I think Kyle Shannon does have a really good relationship with Debo Samuel. So uh, that makes things a lot more easy. And we've seen that that happen with Trent Williams, you know, Kyle Shannon that working with Trent Williams, getting that done where he most are ending up getting that deal done. So I think his positive relationship with these players, even though it can make it really difficult when a player moves on these times like this, you can really lean on it. So I think Kyle Shannon is definitely helping the situation along and keeping this, uh, 
relationship nice and fluid and comfortable. Uh, very, very true. And it's also good to see Debo just, you know, not dwell on whatever issues have plagued uh, these contract negotiations, whether that was agents, whether that was front office, whatever it, whatever it is, it's not souring him on the group, uh, which is the sign of a very mature guy. Remember, we kept hearing all these comments about how he was not, you know, a very selfish guy. We heard people talking about, you know, Debo is, isn't acting like a grown-up. He's acting like a kid. He's not being responsible. Uh, it doesn't look like it. Everything that we've said about Debo and we've seen about from Debo Samuel over his years in San Francisco has shown him to be the consummate professional and a guy who has cared about his teammates and put his team first in most cases. He's doing that yet again. No surprise to anyone here on the pod, and I would say not a surprise to most people in chat either. Yeah, I don't think so. I think people understand who Debo is and what he means to this team, and I think everyone wants him to come back except for maybe bomber t <laughs> i think that's about I, the only one but no i think everyone pretty much wants you know uh debo samuel to be on this team they understand what he means not only from a schematic you know point of view but also from an attitude point of view because nothing has been uh, funner to watch than debo samuel running people over and laughing or him and trent williams coming through the you know through the alleyway there with their boom box and really getting it going coming out of the tunnel i think all those things are really exciting and debo adds a lot of excitement to the team not to mention what Kyle Shanahan use, you know, uses him to do on the field. I think he's very important for this roster. Everyone understands it. And I'm looking forward to the day when we can say Debo Samuel is going to be a 49er for a long time. Uh, agreed with you on that. And I'm really looking forward to that being the case as well. But look, D'Amico Ryans had a lot of very interesting things to talk about. Uh, he was one of the coaches that was available post-practice today, post-practice. And he had a lot of interesting things and interesting uh conversations and pieces he wanted to talk about. I had some interesting questions very early on in the con in the in the conference, his press conference is how I want to phrase that, uh, about Samson become and about the D-line specifically in general overall, a lot of the guys, um, and talking about Samson and whether or not, you know, he feels he's elevated. It looked like he was elevating at the end of last year. Does it feel like he's elevating at the, this year, going into this season? How are you feeling about Samson Ebicom? And then D'Amico Ryan's comments, does it make you lean one way or the other? I, I love Samson Ebucom. You know, I think he's a guy that really did develop in a in a big way during the end of the season. I think it's all about comfort. And even listening to what Samson had to say, you know, about the fact that he felt like he got more comfortable in what his role is. And the more that he understands this defense and the plays and what's expected of him, you know, the better that he plays. Because he doesn't have to think. Now he can just go out there and do it. Uh, so I think Samson Ebucom is still on the ascension. I think he's one of those guys that's going to make a lot of plays opposite of Nick Bosa. And just like he said, he hopes they keep sliding protection and double teams towards Nick Bosa Please. so he can go one-on-one -on -one and win. Uh, but he did also talk about the fact that, you know, some of the moves he was working with early on in the season didn't work, but he stuck with them. And by the end of the year, they were working. So he's a guy that had developmental pass rush, you know, ability, uh, really a lot of athletic ability and speed. But you're finally seeing that transition because he's working on those techniques with, you know, Chris Kassarek, Daryl Tapp, and then, of course, getting some insight from Nick Bosa. Absolutely. Insight from Nick Bosa is a big thing. In fact, D'Amico Ryan's talked about that. He said one of the best things for Nick is getting out here and just interacting, engaging yeah. with his fellow teammates, being able to talk with them, share with them, um, sh you know, help them see what he's seeing, help them work on things that he's working on so that they can continue to improve. They can grow as players. Um, that's actually the thing that D'Amico seemed to harp on most in his press conference in regards to Nick Bosa. Not contract, not any of that, not Nick Bosa being in incredible shape and having amazing thighs. None of those things. <laughs> uh, but in fact, 
being with his teammates, being around his teammates, him being comfortable with them, them being comfortable with him, um, them having a, a sense of camaraderie and, and building a relationship with that group it is a very large group and a shocking turn of events. And the D-line group for the 49ers continues to and will be big all throughout training camp and into season. They're going to keep a lot of guys, whether they're interior guys or on the edge. Uh, but have Nick Bosa having a relationship with all these guys allows them to get on the same page as Nick. And then on top of that, be able to build out that front four in different ways. Yeah, and whether Nick Bosa really wants to or not, he, that's where a lot of the attention of the young players is going to go because he's a big-time player in this league. So a lot of people are going to want to look at him, even though we all know that Eric Armstead is the captain of this defensive line. Nick Bosa naturally is going to get that attention because he's just one of the guys that can do it at a premier level in this league. So I think anything he can add to these players is going to be really good. But I think just having him around definitely raises the game of everyone else. And, you know, D'Amico Ryan's talked about the fact Bosa, Trent Williams, and Debo being in the building raise the energy level in the facility. And I think that that happens with any time you have one of these great players. Whenever somebody walks in this dynamic, everyone stands up and just says, okay, and takes notice. I better raise my game because so-and-so is here, and they're going to raise the level of everyone around them. And I've seen that a lot of times when I coach. We would add a player, and all of a sudden the player would be pushing, you know, pushing it to another level, maybe pushing your best player to another level to be better than they even can. So I think this is really good for the 49ers, and I'm excited about the fact that Bosa is there, that Armstead is there for these other players to lean on and get better with. Agreed. Uh, it's it's 100% important being able to lean on Nick Bosa, pick his brain, get insight from him, and also just watch him work is going to help set that foundation and sort of a work ethic that a lot of these young guys need. Um, you know, Charles Amenehue, um Komoko Ture, I almost blanked on that name. Yeah. That would have been horrible. Um, these guys are, Charles came in middle of the season. Jordan Willis, when they traded for him originally, came in middle of the year. Like these, these are guys who came in late. Komoko Ture, this is his first time here in San Francisco with this group. So being able to get a whole OTA, mandatory OTA training camp, a little bit of offseason work, a full preseason in with Nick Bosa is going to do wonders for them in terms of their mental, where they're at, uh, how comfortable they are playing with him and developing their game. But it also gives... D'Amico Ryans and this this front, right? Chris Kassarek, Daryl Tapp, this entire D-line coaching staff and your defensive coordinator, a chance to pick and choose and move guys around and put guys in different spots. And he talked about Charles Menehu. They saw him moving onto the inside of tackle. And they asked him specifically about that. Do you see him taking over on Arden Key role? And D'Amico kind of doesn't say yes or no on this, but in fact says, Ant, that all of our guys, whether they're edges or tackles, are going to move around. We want these guys playing in a lot of different spots, working on different techniques, getting a foundation. Uh, and he's talked about Amenahu specifically. And guys like Kamoko Ture having this OTA period, having this tr this pre Preseason and training camp is going to do wonders for them in developing day one fundamentals to play D-line the way they want them to play D-line in this system. Yeah, I think if you watch D'Amico Ryan's response when some of these questions are being asked, uh, there were some things he didn't really want to get into too much. And one of them was Charles Amenhew moving inside because I don't think he really wants anyone to know right now <laughs> which one of these defensive linemen is going to be incurring that role that is left by Arden Key. You know, I think he would like to keep people guessing whether it's going to be Jordan Willis or Charles Amenhew you know, or one of these other guys, including Samson Ebucom. I think he wants to keep people guessing. So he, he's not ready to start talking about where these players are going to land, and that's okay. The good thing is they got so many players that have so many different positions that are flexible that they're going to do a lot of fun things with this defensive line. And Nick Bosa said, hey, we, we're going to have to have a couple extra spots for this defensive line because it's absolutely deep. And he's not wrong because it's 
this defensive line is fantastic. And every single day, it feels like we're talking about a, a guy that's showing up and looking better than they ever anticipated, including Bosa talking about how it's nice to have Kerry Hyder back. And I've heard rumors that Kerry Hyder's been doing a lot of work on the inside as well. Uh, very, very true. And Christopher uh, Christopher Blankenship wants to know who's been getting first team reps at strong safety. It sounds like Huff. Yeah, I, I think it's Hufonga. And the, the way that D'Amico Ryan's uh, you know, talked about it was he was talking about Jimmy Ward, but when he brought up the safety position, he said Jimmy Ward and, and Huff. Huff. Uh, and so I think that he said Huff is feeling more comfortable and, and they're working well together. It really is sounding from the things that they're saying that it is Talon Ufunga's job to lose. Um, so Ufunga's looking like he's going to be the guy. We'll see what happens. But right now, I think somebody's going to have to go out there and absolutely you know, take this job from Ufunga because he seems to be stepping in right there next to Jimmy Wharton, filling the role left by Jaquiski Tart. And if it is Hufanga, there definitely won't be a a tart siding because those two are very similar in the way that they approach the game. Very true. And uh, so look, I, I'm excited about Jimmy Ward in, in and of itself coming into this season, because I feel like his confidence level is starting to ascend and his belief in himself is starting to ascend his comments, you know, a, a couple weeks back about, you know, the difference between being an all pro and where he is and what he was last year. It's just a few more things he feels he needs to get done and he feels he can do. Um, hearing D'Amico talk about those types of things and where he feels Jimmy is and what he could be is is exciting. But then to hear him immediately connect that to Talano Hufanga and not the rest of the safety room, not other guys, not Tarvarius Moore and where he's been, not George Odom, who they just brought it. None of that. Huff. Huff is the only other name that's that stands out, which means, yeah, at this point, I would agree with you on this. And I think a lot of 49ers fans can gleam into this as well. Talano Hufanga is the front runner. Now, reasons for that could be his development. It also could be that maybe Tarverius, uh, Tarverius Moore, and maybe he's not 100% healthy yet. Maybe he's not quite there yet for them to feel good about where he sits. And so because of that, Hufanga is the front runner, or maybe he is 100% healthy. Maybe that he's shown enough to know, for them to know that he's good to go, but Huff has just elevated that much. We're going to find out. It really is a good situation if it is Hufunga because you're going to have him under contract for three more years. Yes, so, I mean, right away you have a running mate that can go in there and run uh, with Jimmy Ward. You will have to make a decision on Jimmy Ward at some point because you're going to need to extend him. So I think they're they're waiting, and then they're going to work out some sort of deal with Jimmy Ward as well. But I think that when it comes down to it, Hufanga makes the most sense. You had an investment in him with draft capital, and then he has the most you know le time left on his contract. Using both of those guys, it, it makes a lot of sense for the Niners. And we'll see, you know, what happens uh, when Hufanga gets out there in training camp, because that's when it really starts becoming a competition, right? You know, it's right then. And, you know, Tarverus Moore is going to have opportunities. George Odom is going to have opportunities. But it appears right now the 49ers are letting Hufanga have the, the lead spot, you know, and it makes the most sense. Last year, he was the one doing it out when it wasn't Jaquiski Tart. Correct. So I think right now it'll be Hufanga. And let's see if Tarverus Moore can go strip one of those places from him. Uh, but right now, I wouldn't bet against Hufanga from all the things I'm hearing from D'Amico Ryans and the rest of the staff. No, not not going to. Right, I'm I'm going to take the 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 horse's mouth on it. In this case, it's D'Amico Ryan. So I'm going to take the coach's mouth on on this and what he's saying and the the names that are coming out of his mouth. Because if he's singling out or specifically choosing to state certain players, those are definitely players that you should be keeping your eyes on because it means they are expecting something. They want to see something. And sometimes when you've seen positive things from a guy. You put it out there that you've seen positive things. You like where there is at because you want to also see how they respond to that. Are they going to go, oh, man, coach talked about me in the media. I'm doing great. And then rest on said laurels they believe they've just established with said coaching staff. Or are they going to be like, man, coach is taking notice. 
all right, let's let's put this thing away now. Let's put this thing to bed. Let, let's show what we really can do. And, and, and you turn on the afterburners, Ant, and, and you really go after that need for speed. I mean, we're, we're going to see how Hufanga responds, how this team responds, and how the rest of that room responds. Because if you're another guy in that room thinking you can compete for a starting job and you're hearing Coach talk about Huff, uh, time to get to work. Yeah, hopefully it lights a fire under his butt. So I, I would I would definitely be okay with you know Tavares Moore coming in there with a the chip on his shoulder to prove that, hey, did you forget about me? Just in 2020, you were talking about me taking over for Tart. Um, and hopefully that just breeds more competition. Hufanga gets better because of it. Moore gets better. Odom gets better. I think it's always good when you have competition in the room. And then also will produce a nice depth just in case something happens and one of these players go down. Uh, you have somebody ready to roll. It's very true. KMDR Collectibles and up in the membership for 10 months using his 10-month free Super Chat. That's right, free Super Chat. If you if you become a channel member on YouTube every month, monthly, you get a free Super Chat to use on the show. So just keep that in mind. And if you don't want to necessarily Super Chat all the time, but you like to be able to Super Chat every once in a while, and you become a channel member and you get a free one every single month. But he wants to know, are we going to talk about Mexican pizzas on this show too? I have a feeling that Mexican pizzas were potentially talked about on Slightly Offsides, yeah. which aired just before this over on Patreon. Yeah, over on Patreon, Horst in his Horsting Around segment decided to go with Mexican pizzas. And uh, it it was an interesting conversation. Unfortunately, it had nothing to do with football. And I, I pointed that out to him. He was shocked that that had nothing to do with football. I mean, it could have something to do with football. <laughs> it's a Mexican pizza. It's... But yeah, well, thank you for KDR and and Jess and some of the other people that were over there and and our first ever, you know, slightly offsides live. Live. It was fun. That's right. You can you can expect more of that too. So if you want to be able to uh, horse around with Horst on slightly offsides and maybe even go offsides with him, right? Maybe he's not the only one going offsides. Hop on over to Patreon, become a channel member. Not only do you get the channel memberships, and you also get access to said live. Slightly offsides. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's glorious. So it, it's it's a win-win. It's it's a win-win-win. Yeah. Because uh, then you also get Mexican pizza conversation. That's not necessarily a bad thing either. Uh, look, I, I think it's it's a extremely intriguing what's going on right now with the Niners and, and D'Amico talking about those guys. Obviously, he's going to get some Trey Lance questions because Trey Lance is going up against said defense that D'Amico is, is heralded with you know, establishing a, a, a top flight, top notch defense yet again. Trey did have apparently a couple long touchdown passes and, and people were asking him about that and the amount of stress he puts on him. He also said that Trey's been throwing a lot of stuff on the money. Is this a defensive coordinator talking up his young coach and, or is Trey Lance this special already? And everyone just needs to be prepared for the Trey Lance takeover and all the people, all the people putting money down on Trey Lance to win MVP are actually geniuses. Uh, I'm going to say it like this. You're not going to hear a single negative thing said about Trey Lance right now as okay. he's becoming quarterback one. All these guys know what their job is to to do, and that is to you know paint Trey Lance in a positive light. And I'm not saying there's things negative. I'm just saying there's no reason to say anything that isn't positive about the guy. Uh, he's doing a lot of really good things. But it's always weird to me when they ask a defensive coordinator or a defensive coach <laughs> about the quarterback. I understand that he's going against them. But why don't you ask him about the defense? You know what I mean? I think there's a lot of intriguing questions surrounding the defense, and it seems like that Trey Lance always ends up being the topic of conversation. I'm surprised they didn't ask the special teams coordinator about Trey Lance as well and how he's able to float the ball up there, and if it looks like a punt from Mitch, Mitch Wisnowski or something. It is, it is one of the most ridiculous things, but uh, I do like how D'Amico Ryans handles himself when it comes to Trey Lance. He's always building up the guy. 
and talking about how he's becoming a leader. And the things he was saying about the ball getting out and, and frustrating the defense at times are are definitely things you want to happen. So I think Trey Lance is, you know, impressing people the way he's handling business. You know, when you had that happen today, Peter Schrager talking on Good Morning Football that he heard from inside the organization that they're very impressed with where Trey Lance is. And they're very excited about where he is in his development. So we're finally starting to hear some positive things coming from the national media about Trey Lance. And it would be Peter Schrager because we know how tight he is with the 49ers. So I like that. But um, yeah, when the defensive coordinator is up there, how about we talk about defense? Uh, I would prefer it. I'd prefer the defensive coordinator talking about defense unless it's the opposing team's quarterback and not his own. But it's it's fine. It's fine. I'm not going to stress one way or the other on this. But I do want to gleam into look into D'Amico Ryan's comments specifically about the cornerback room, because this is something that I harped on all draft period when we got out of the draft was how how far the cornerback room now has come. How well how much you've addressed this and it going from a position of essentially weakness last year or at least questionable at the very best to now a, a position of almost strength at times, if not. A, a non-concern. Not many people are too worried, maybe outside of the nickel cornerback room, but obviously the 49ers coaching staff does not feel the same way about this. But he talked up Emmanuel Mosley, talked up E-Man, he talked up Mooney, Ant, he talked up Mooney, Charvarius Ward. I did not know that was the nickname. I was glad to hear that and find that out. So. Found that out over the over your break. Uh, did you? Yeah. I did not know that until that press yeah. conference. It was, so it was interesting. All of a sudden I seen Mooney, I'm like, who's that? And then it said, or Charverius Ward, I was like, oh, why is it Mooney? I don't know why it's Mooney, but I, I'm looking forward to that eventual story of why it's Mooney, Ant. Um, but then he brought up Ombre Thomas and talked about how Ombre still got some things that he needs to work on. He's still trying to get there and how Samuel Womack and Tariq Castro-Fields have been doing a great job of coming in the building and pushing the young guys and the guys that we drafted last year. Not a lot of mention of Diamondor Lenore, the Ombre mention was talking about him still needing some development and then talking about Castro Fields and Samuel Womack pushing these young guys that they brought in last year. Should people draw negative connotations? This? Should people be worried that maybe this cornerback room isn't as strong and or is it as strong as advertised? I think it's as strong as advertised for one reason. We saw Ombre Thomas be able to handle himself True. in big football games. Now, did he struggle in those games to a point? Yeah, and I think those are the things that he's trying to work on, and that's what is being alluded to by here by D'Amico Ryans is the fact that he needs to get better in some areas. And one of those things that he needs to do is when he's in is in zone coverage, especially in the cover two, he will sit on a certain route. He'll just sit there. Even if there's no underneath receiver, he won't sag and be able to help take away a guy in that intermediate zone, uh, which is a, a weakness of the cover two. So I think that right now, those are things he still has to be able to recognize in zone. He has to have a better feel. I think that's something he's going to develop through time. He didn't play in 2020, so you know he's having to evolve with that. And that's one of the things Coach Underlin talked about, was that he was having to learn how to play those positions again. Um, but the the no talk about Lenore is definitely interesting. Uh, Lenore was a guy that was, you know, very much he's, heralded. He started last year. Yeah, he was very much heralded right early in the season. Yes. He, he was the the apple of people's eye. And now it appears that he's in risk of not making this team. I love that they brought in Castro Fields and Samuel Womack to push Great. these guys, but they all understand who the three guys are at the top. And all the while, we're not even talking about the fact that there's an absolute battle at the nickel corner spot because Darquez Denard seems like he's got a little bit of a hold on that position as well. He does. Uh, it looks like Darquez Denard is going to be the guy to start off the year, and, and that is going to probably surprise some folk. It's going to upset others. Uh, they're going to feel like maybe it's a drown grade at that position. Look, it's a former first-round pick with a lot of upside, a lot of potential, and who's not 
doesn't have a lot of wear and tear on his body. He's not an old man. No, we're not. We're not talking about an old man. We're talking about a, a not. I wouldn't. I don't want to say young because I mean, young people think first. You know, two years in the league or something like that. But this is not a guy who's green. This is a developed guy who's been around the league and been to a lot of different spots. Has been finding the right place to land and, and fit in the system. And San Francisco seems to be the place that's kind of reignited for him and, and caught that spark. And he talked about that a little bit um, coming out of last season. You know, before he re-signed with San Francisco in the offseason. So I'm excited about what that could look like and what it could be. I'm interested in what this means for a guy like Diamond Lenore because when they originally drafted him, we said this felt like a guy who they were grooming to be a nickel corner for San Francisco. That's what it felt like his strengths were. And at the start of the year, he was an outside guy who, when we saw him at training camp practices, struggled on the interior. So if the thought process was this guy could play nickel, he's struggling in camp, and his best asset as a player is on the outside, and he's not one of your best outside corners. Where does that leave you? Yeah, I think they really did believe that, you know, Guillermo Lenore was going to be able to move to the inside and play the nickel spot. And then when they got into camp, you know, there were some struggles on injuries on the outside. You had Emmanuel Mosley, who wasn't healthy. You know, you were keeping Jason Brett pretty much healthy, but uh, there were a lot of things that needed to be developed. And I think Ombre Thomas wasn't as far along as they wanted him to be. Lenore was farther along as a corner. So they went ahead and moved him out or you know, moved him outside and then left him outside. And he paid dividends for the 49ers early in the season. Even though he got beat, he was out there competing and doing a pretty good job. The problem was is when they did move him into the slot, the, you know, right before the end of training camp, he got a week to develop. And when he did play the slot, you know, it was not very good. When he was playing that nickel corner spot, he was getting beat by the deep fade the same way uh, K1 Williams is. And I think that was something the 49ers definitely saw as a weakness that they needed to improve. And then they brought in Denard. And Denard is a guy that showed out very well in week 18. And so I think they're looking at it like, hey, maybe we got a guy that can compete there. I still think one of these corners that misses out on being the outside corner, whether that's Verrett or Mosley, could transition into the interior as a, you know, as that nickel corner. But we don't know yet. But the problem is, I think Lenore might be getting lost, you know, in, in all the amount of players that they brought in. And they brought in some guys that have the ability to play inside and out. And uh, he, he might be in risk of not making this team this year. You're not wrong. He might be. And look, this is a this is a risky this is a risk if you're a young guy. This is why this is why the, the average lifespan for an NFL player is around that three and a half, four year mark for most guys. Because every single year, there isn't just turnover in terms of your job and new guys coming in. There's turnover in terms of guys coming into the league. There is a plethora of guys coming into the league. And this year specifically, there are more players coming into the league, whether they were via you know draft, undrafted free agents, or guys that weren't even being targeted in the draft coming in, who were coming out and being available because of COVID, who sat out a few years, who yep. waited a little bit more time. So you have a plethora of developed guys who took a, an extra year or sometimes two, and that's going to be the same thing next year. There are guys who have that extra year of eligibility that are going to use it. They should have come out this last year. They're going to use that extra year and come out next year, along with other guys who just decide to pull the trigger and come out either early or as seniors as it may be. So the next four years or so, this is going to happen. We're going to have probably an overload in terms of draft class and draft availability, which may even shorten that window for players to be in the league, make rosters, and be viable options for NFL teams, whether that be 53-man rosters or practice squads over the next three or four years. Yeah, and ENYCE says uh, that Tarverius Moore should play nickel, you know, and this is something that the 49ers tried early on when they drafted him. Uh, and I actually talked about this last week where I was discussing the fact Jimmy Ward was moved out of position when he played with, you know, for Trent Bulky and, sure. and uh, Jim Harbaugh. And then the fact that, you know, now we had Tarverius Moore where they tried to do the same thing. They tried to move him to corner and it didn't work out. 
I think Tarverius Moore's natural position is safety. Do I think he has the ability to, in a dime situation, to go play, you know, in the slot and cover one of these guys, especially a tight end? Yeah, I do. I think he has that capability. I just don't think you could put him in there as a nickel play in and play out and him be able to hold up. I also don't know how a short area quickness is going to be, if he's going to be able to drive on, you know, footballs and drive on these receivers. Uh, those are things that have to be answered because of the Achilles injury. So I don't know where he's at with that. And the fact that they don't have very many safeties, especially safeties with experience, it means I think they're planning on keeping him there. Uh, very much could be the case, and it very well could be uh, the situation there. Daniel Harley saying, who's taking snaps with the first team, Jimmy or Trey? Jimmy's not even there, man. He's excused. He's still dealing with the shoulder injury, so it's obviously Trey. Uh, Robert going, so you guys see PFF ranked Max Crosby as the best 25 and under defensive player. Apparently, Bosa was fourth. Do I have to answer this? Do I even have to play into PFF? No, we don't have to. Um, they had, no. I mean, I'm just wondering because they had Cliff Kingsbury, Kingsbury as the, the fourth best coach. Uh, so, I mean, when it comes to PFF, they, they go solely on the numbers and not on the eye test. And I, I just, I can't do it. They don't even, they don't even take in the, this is, I'm all for, you know, utilizing stats as, as a way to try and back what you're seeing out of a player. But if you take film off the table and actual physical play, what you're seeing on the field out of the equation and just rely on numbers, you're going to miss far more times than you're going to hit because you're ignoring scheme philosophy uh you know skill set utilization how said player skill sets is utilized in a situation right i mean arden key was a, was a guy who we talked about with oak with oakland or vegas as as they are now um was a guy who had extreme amounts of talent right tons of talent don't know why it's not working there with the vegas raiders you get him to san francisco and look what happens the talent becomes full force and full circle and everyone can see it it's, it's for the world to behold if you ignore film, if you ignore the reality of a guy going out there and playing in his actual physical tools, then you're going to you're going to miss. You're going to miss the bigger picture. Yeah, and and Robert says hi, and you must respond. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll respond with this. Nick Bosa is the number one defensive player under the age of 25. In fact, I think he could be the best player in the NFL under the age of 25. So anyone else being above him on the defensive list, um, just no. And, and a, so, so, then, so then I completely question your list. So PFF often has me questioning their list, uh, questioning their matrix or metrics. Ooh, matrix. Matrix, uh, yeah. metrics, metrics. Both of the, both of the same. Um, the matrix used to used yeah. to create their metrics. Andy. But all I know is Nick Bosa is really good. He's better than Max Crosby, and no one can convince me otherwise. Max Crosby is terrible versus the run. I, I've said it. I will continue saying it. He is absolutely awful against the run. We'll, we'll see what happens Hot when they garbage. square off against each other on New Year's, right? But that's going to be the thing. Yeah. That, that's going to be it. I mean, uh, when Bosa gets sacked 23, well, we'll see what's up. I'll be, uh, I'll be jacked for sack 23 <laughs> on New Year's Day, and that'll be absolutely glorious. Uh, but look, I, I'm, I'm excited about just everything with this team. I'm excited about what D'Amico had to say about a lot of these guys, including Ant Drake Jackson. One of the last things he talked about in that presser. Uh, look, they have a huge huge defensive line group and and just yeah the front four group is gigantic there's a lot of names um the him talking about the fact that they were surprised they even got drake is the thing we said right it's what we said on draft night draft day drake jackson surprised us with the pick but it's like well it's not a bad pick who would have thought this guy would have been here at this spot at 61 no one thought he was gonna make it that far most people had him projected back into the first round if not early second so the fact that he slides all the way down there is a great thing but he talked about his ability to get to the quarterback, him having that, and the fact that he gets to work with Kasarik, learn from Bosa, learn from Armstead, learn from Ibicom. The sky's the limit. He's extremely excited for what he can become and what he can be, 
And again, if you're the 49ers, drafting a guy with a lot of potential and that keeps your D-line group young and allows you to make some tough decisions in the future. Yeah, I think the way that D'Amico Ryans was talking about him, like his demeanor, even talking about Drake Jackson, it's like they really like the guy, they like the player, but that he's very developmental. Um, so they like the skill set, but they know that he's going to have to develop and that Casera's going to have to you know, teach him a lot of things and so are those other players. Uh, but the thing that the things that Nick Bosa said about a Jackson and the fact that he's able to bend the corner and has a natural bend and even equated it to p- possibly having a gymnastics background. I don't know if that's confirmed or not, uh, but he said those were things that he had to work on that Drake Jackson just does naturally at this point in his life. So he said as long as he sticks with it and he works as hard as he can, he's going to have a, a really good career. and He's going to be uh, pretty good. So. I was excited about that. I thought D'Amico was trying to downplay it a little bit. And then I thought that Nick Bosa was giving us his actual thoughts on who he was, even though when he first heard his name, when he was drafted, he thought he was an interior uh, linebacker. Well, there you go. <laughs> well, there you go. And thought interior linebacker, not, not so much, not so much the case there. Uh, was it me or, or, oh, did Debo look good? Did, did look Debo was itching to get on the field today. It, it looked like he was at least excited to be there, like excited to be engaged uh, there, Ernest. So it, it did look like Debo had a little bit of extra juice today. Yeah, I think Debo, you know, you got through the awkwardness the first day. There's the awkwardness. Hey, guys, you know, there's been stuff going on. Yeah, you, you go through your physicals. That's weird. You're yeah. going through your physicals and you're being on the field and you're wondering, you know, even though you've talked to your teammates, how are your teammates going to respond to you? How, you know, is the front office going to handle you being there and then you when you find out everyone's a professional and everyone handles it the right way then you start feeling comfortable again and it gets back to normal and that's what's going to happen with Debo Samuel he's he's back to normal and I, I'm sure he would love to be strapping it up he's a, he loves football and uh, so at some point he's going to get back on the field and he's he's going to get out there with all of his friends and it's going to be fun to watch uh, but yeah I'm sure there's a little bit of an itch I mean who doesn't like when you're out on the field to want to throw the ball play catch you know, and just get involved a little bit. Uh, absolutely, Ant. And Jess, shout out for figuring out she she finally got to him. Took I don't know how many months, but we finally she finally got the emojis and everything set up. Oh, nice. So there we go. There you go. Another channel member, Ant, having access to stuff. That's always good to see. Uh, look, I, I think that 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 was 100% and everything, including what Bosa was talking about there. Uh, it's really exciting. And also just Debo getting through that awkward phase like you talked about. Um, it's good. It's good to see. And it shows that these guys are getting back to the normal, back into the routine, uh, back into just the state of everything and how it's going. Um, I'm also excited about special teams because you brought in Oren Burks. You, you brought in George Odom. You brought in Raymay McLeod. You drafted Danny Gray, who everyone is thinking can potentially do something on the special team side as well. I don't, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But look, I think we've seen a lot of positive stuff. And Schneider got to go up there and talk a little bit. And the first thing they asked him was, what? Why San Francisco? How come this place, Ant? Two words for you, Kyle Shanahan. Yeah, I mean, you knew all the questions were going to be about Schneider, you know, leaving other organizations, you know, walking away before the season started. He was supposed to be Jacksonville's, you know, special teams coordinator last year, and he stepped away right before the year started. So we knew that this was not going to be an opportunity that the local media was going to miss to go ahead and ask him all kinds of questions about why here, why now? And I thought he did a really good job of handling it and talking about how, you know, taking a year off changes perspective and how he looks at football. But yeah, Kyle Shanahan is a big reason for a lot of these football coaches. They know that if they get with Kyle Shanahan, there's going to be a lot of opportunities after Kyle Shanahan. You know, I mean, right now, coaches have been able to come and, and you know, then leave and get better situations. But for Snyder, it could just be the opportunity to go ahead and, and win a championship. You know, I'm sure he's been wanting to do that. He's been coaching since 1994. And he's a guy that Kyle Shanahan's familiar with. So I think anytime you have that that type of situation, 
you definitely want to go with be with the best head coach you can be with and that's what Snyder did and some of the things he said about the players that they brought in the fact that he was instrumental in talking about which players he wanted and then the fact those players are absolutely even better than what he thought he saw on film uh that was probably the most exciting thing when I was reading through the transcript of what he talked about was Number one, the fact that you brought a guy in, you just hired a guy, you brought him into the fold here in San Francisco, and the fact as a coaching staff, you feel so comfortable about what he can do in his job that you're willing to not only go to him to ask for play, but allow him to make pitches about guys that you want to see and guys that you want to want in the building with you. Um, when when you're a coaching staff and you have, number one, the, the, the tight-knit group that this coaching staff is, how much they share with one another, how much they entrust one another, when you can bring a new guy and a new face in, and immediately feel good about letting this guy have some reign and letting go as a head coach, you're in a really good spot as a team. Really good. Uh, um, we saw Mr. Corey talking about, don't forget about the uh, subtraction of Richard Hightower, that being a positive for the room. A lot of people not happy with the decisions that he made. And typically as a coach, when you bring somebody in, when you entrust a guy in a, at a position or, or to do a job, and it doesn't necessarily go the way you want, it becomes very, very easy to fall into this idea of, well, I have to be more involved for it to be the way I want it to be. So the fact that Kyle Shanahan can go out and John Lynch can go out and bring in a new face, bring in a new guy. Yes, Schneider has a lot of experience and he's been around the league a long time. But when things go wrong, you tend to get a little handsy, a little more hands in the cookie jar. The fact that they can step away or even bring him into the fold, into the room to make decisions with him shows that this team knows the direction that they want. They feel like they don't only have the right guy for the job, but they have the horses and the pieces now to go do said job at a high level. Yeah, and you know that was one of the things that Juice talked about when it came to special teams. He said he really liked Snyder. He thought Snyder fit in well. And the fact that Snyder was more aggressive, and that was one of the things he saw from this unit, is that they're going to be an aggressive uh, special teams unit. To me, that's exciting because that was one of the, the knocks on Richard Hightower was the fact that it felt like he let everything be dictated to him and he was more of a reactionary kind of coach that the only times where he did go dictate things, big plays happened. I mean, he was at Green Bay game where they go out and they make something happen and, and block a field goal and then block a punt. Those type of things weren't his norm. He wasn't normally aggressive by nature, but I think that's what Kyle Shanahan is going to do. He's going to go out there, and he already has D'Amico Ryans dictating what happens on defense. Now we got a special teams coordinator that's going to dictate dictate things on special teams. All the while, we know that's what Kyle's trying to do on offense. So it's a complete shift in attitude towards we're going to go ahead and influence the entire game and dictate tempo, dictate how this game is going to be played. And if that's the case, the foreigners have a good chance of winning a lot of games this year. 100%. And that's exactly what's going to end up happening if, if you're able to dictate to that extent. So, hey, what's going on with the offensive line? Please talk about that, says David Monte. So David Monte wants some offensive line talk. Uh, anything specific that you want talked about? Because we talked about it a lot yesterday. Yeah, I, I think people are still wanting to talk about that. Lou brought up earlier about Jake, Jake Brendel and the conversations that you've heard from some of the coaches and even the players make it make it seem like Brendel is going to be the guy at center. I don't know if you feel that that is like a foregone conclusion at this point, but it's definitely starting to put that impression in people's you know minds that Jake Brendel's the answer at center, and the four yards are are willing and confident to move forward with him. I think they are willing, and I think they are confident in moving forward with him. But it's OTAs. It's it's mandatory OTAs. We ain't even in training camp yet, folks. Yeah. We haven't even played a preseason game. A lot of things can change in the next 40-plus days, Ant, between now and when training camp start and that first preseason game happens. Because everything is good and great out here until you play that first preseason game and have someone else punch you in the mouth. And then we're going to see how you really respond and see who you really are. 
that's when we're going to find out what not only what Jake Brendel is made of, but whether or not this team and this front office and this coaching staff got it right. Because if you got it right, then wonderful, great, and your O-line is set. It's solid. You did the right thing with Aaron Banks and letting him develop and giving him a year and not pushing him. Um, you did the right thing in letting Alex Mack make his decision while Jake Brendel you brought in to marinate him and get him ready. And the right guard, Daniel Brunskill, bringing him back into the fold, having that stable presence with Mike McGlinchey getting healthy, and obviously Trent Williams being the manster that he is on the outside there on the left. Um, you're in a really good spot if, if you did this and you did it right. However, if, if the Jake Brendel situation backfires, if he's not the guy, if he goes out there and gets absolutely mollywopped in that first preseason game, then you are in damage control mode because do you move Brunskill inside? Is one of the younger guys behind him? Can they actually elevate, step up, and be the guy you need him to be in in hold this offensive line together through the season, or do you need to go out and get a JC Treader if a guy like that is even available by that point? Yeah, well, I think right now you have the opportunity to see what you got with Jake Brendel. I think they are confident with him, and that's one of the things that we've seen from this, you know, so far this coaching staff, Kyle Shanahan, and also Forrester, is they don't seem to be worried about this offensive line at all from the players that they've been bringing in. Brendel, uh, the fact that he's a Forrester pick, right? Forrester picked him, decided to bring him in, means... Forster's really comfortable with him. And let's not forget, Forster was Trent Williams' first offensive line coach as well. So there's a lot of confidence that goes with Chris Forster. So I think if he believes in Brindle, then Brindle could be the answer at center. It might not be the answer that everyone wants. I mean, because he's definitely not a sexy name. You know, he's no. not a Weston Richburg. He's not an Alex Mack. He's not a JC Treader. But what he could be is just what the 49ers need because he is a guy that already has a nice chemistry with with uh, Trey, uh, Trey Lance, not to mention he played and practiced with Aaron Banks, so he's going to have confidence with him. And also when Alex Mack wasn't there for practice, he took those first-string center snaps. So those are all going to be things that make it good for him because now he has an understanding of the offense. He has an understanding of the players playing around him, and it might be better stabilizing you know, that one position with a confident guy who maybe is not at the, the level, skill level of a J.C. Treader, but has the confidence level uh, with all and confidence with all the other players along the offensive line. So I am curious what happens, but we'll see if that means Daniel Brunskill stays at guard. Very true. Lou says or, or asks here, Ant, guys, are you willing and confident to go with Brindle? As of this point in time, are you willing and confident to go with him? I don't know. I haven't seen enough from him to make me think that he's going to be the starting center and not enough to say he's not. Okay, so I'm going to take exactly what you just said and just take the first half of it only. So because I haven't seen enough of him doing it, uh, doing or not doing it, I cannot say that I am confident in him being the start, starting center. Am I willing to let him be the starting center? If he can go prove it. That's what it comes down to, right? If he can go through the rest of training camp, preseason and looks solid looks stable looks like it is going in a good direction there's no issues with the run game he's not whiffing on protections and missing massive blocks and you know bobbing not bobbing but uh completely boggling snaps with trey lance then i am willing to to grow to love jake brindle as the center option but like you talked about he isn't the sexy option He's the untested, unproven option. And you know what? It's a risk. And I'm willing I'm willing to give guys chances. I'm willing to take risks, especially if it allows you to build your roster in other ways and bring a lot of talent in other positions. But you got to have a plan if the risk doesn't pay off, and I think the Niners do. Yeah, I mean, if I was at practice, if I was Chris Forster and I got to see all the practice film and I was able to watch him, you know, get, go through all of his reps and, and do the things that he did in practice last year, 
then I might have a lot of confidence in Jake Brindle. We know that his his measurables are nice. That's you true. know, the way that the, the teammates talk about him is nice. You never know for sure if they're just propping him up or if that's actually what you're going to get from the player. So it's going to take time. Now, do I want him to do well? Absolutely. I'm with you on that. What? I would love for Jake Brendel to take over this role and ascend to a really t- you know big-time center in this league or at least get us through until one of these young guys like uh, Nick Zakel or Donovan West are able to take over the role. But we just don't know yet. And I think anyone saying that they know for a fact you know, that Brendel's going to be the guy or Brendel's not going to be the guy. There's just no way to know right now. That center position is going to be up in the air until we start seeing who's taking first team reps during preseason games. And then it'll all be decided when we get to that final 53. Uh, absolutely. And that final 53 is going to be a very interesting process for the 49ers uh, because uh, as as a lot of guys talked about, whether it was uh, Samson Ebicondon and Nick Bosa, both of them talking about Drake Jackson and what he's been doing and, and what he looks like and how excited they are. And also just mentioning the fact that hinting at, hey, it, it also, um, <clears throat> there's a lot of guys. There's a lot of names. Uh, Nick talking about how you'd like to keep a few of these extra guys around and not be able to have to move off of them. Well, if you do that, how do you build out the rest of this roster? What does it look like? Where are you cutting some corners? I think one of the places you're probably cutting a corner is at the wide receiver position. And I don't think a lot of people want to hear this, but I I think the 49ers are going to go with five. I don't think there's going to be a six wide receiver that makes this team. I think they're going to be solid with those five guys. And then they're just going to stockpile the practice squad with a few, with a few guys that they believe they could bring up in a pinch. But why do you need more than five guys? We've seen the Niners last year have six guys on the roster and very rarely use the sixth guy. You were always wondering who wasn't going to dress. So I think they could easily, you know, handle it that way. And the fact that they got the big dogs at the the top of their roster means they have less questions in the wide receiver position. So I think that's a place where you could shave off a roster spot and be able to use it at the defensive line. I would agree with you on that. I think you definitely can do that. I think that's something they they should look into at the at the very least. Is offensive line another area where they can shave it off? And or here's this. We'll go this way. Tight ends. Last year, not a lot of two tight end sets. Very rarely, actually, last year. If that is the plan going forward, do you keep two tight ends on this roster and not a third? I think you keep three because the problem is George Kittle gets hurt. That's you know, true. I mean, and that's one of the things. It's, it's George Kittle's style of play means eventually, at some point, he's going to get nicked up. He's either going to miss part of a game or a complete game. Um, I would love for him to play seventeen games. I just think you have to make sure you're you're careful and you have guys that are able to go in there and get the job done. So I think they'll keep three tight ends. I just don't think there's any world where they do like they tried to do in 2020 and keep four tight ends. So I think it'll be three tight ends, five wide receivers, you know, five running packs. That's including juice. And then two quarterbacks along the offense. And then along the offensive line, nine guys. I think that's how they build the offense. That's the way that uh, makes the most sense and gives you the most depth and, Keeping nine offensive linemen is important because you get to use that extra guy to be able to suit 48 if one of them is an offensive lineman. That's an NFL rule. Uh, so I think that they'll do that, and that makes a lot of sense. And then uh, that way you have a free spot on defense because you're probably going to need to keep 11 or 12 defensive linemen, probably 11, but that's a lot of defensive linemen to keep. But the 49ers definitely needed them last year. Uh, they, and they they tried to. I mean, look, I, uh, e, oh, E-N-Y-C-E and Lou both saying it back-to-back that it's absolutely incredible. Uh Three for NYCE and Matthews might make it this year. And Lou saying, you keep Jordan Matthews, please. A lot of people are done with Ross Dwelly in a shocking turn of events. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what the development is with Jordan Matthews in the blocking department. 
he's a better receiver than most of those guys. George Kittle's the only one that's better than him in, as a wide re- I mean, as a receiver in the tight end room. A former wide receiver with a lot of ability. I mean, when you're drafted as a wide receiver, right, you can go and play tight end as long as you can block. Correct. Uh, the question is, is he going to be able to block in line? We know Jawan Jennings is the power slot, so we don't really have a need for a power slot. That's true. But I'm, I'm curious to see what happens when Jordan Matthews gets out there and he lines up in line. If he's able to make blocks on some of these edge players or even be able to push up to the second level and get his hands on, you know, Aziz Alshire or Dre Greenlaw, or if they absolutely just throw him by. And if that's the case, if we see that in practice and he's getting chucked, he doesn't have good technique, uh, then he won't make this roster. But if he's able to do those things, he has a, uh, has a good shot. So I wouldn't be against it. Here's the good news, too, and he's got great players to face at, on the other side of the football to t- really challenge and test him, right? Nick Bosa. Yeah. Samson Ebucom, uh, Drake Jackson at times is going to be a good one to, to test him as well. And then if the Niners throw Eric Armstead ever on the outside there, and he, and he has to go up against that. That's another guy who's a solid outside run defender in run blocking situations. Jordan Matthews' biggest challenge is just that because Croft is going to be able to do both things. He's not going to have any issues. Kittle, obviously not going to have uh, any issues at all. Croft might have some, uh, but he is a, a, a little bit sure. more polished, polished tight end of, of the group. And Charlie Warner has developed a whole bunch. I mean, those are the, the names that he's really competing with for that last spot. It's those last two. It's Croft and it's Charlie Warner. Um, obviously, Ross Dwelly is in that mix, but Ross Dwelly is in the same boat that Matthews is right now. I think he's playing from behind. Yeah, I think Ross Dwelly's you know, play last year where he got passed by Charlie Warner, I think puts him in a, in a rare situation where he's got to go out there and compete for a 53-man roster spot. Because I think since 2019, it's been pretty dead set that he, he was going to be a member of this group. We know that he's good friends with George Kittle. But good friends with George Kittle doesn't make you make the roster. So I think there's some things that are going to happen and some questions. Uh, but I would, I mean, that's one of the things I think is going to be interesting is a tight end battle because I think Jordan Matthews has to be considered a legitimate option. All the while, Charlie Warner is getting better and better and, and asserting himself, you know, as one of the better tight ends on the roster. I mean, can he still develop in the past game? Absolutely. But his blocking got tremendously better from his rookie year to 2021. Absolutely. And it's E nice. That oh, makes it so much easier. There you go. Thank you, E nice. Yeah, there you go. E nice. I like that. <laughs> the clarification there is glorious. <clears throat> Jerry, uh, after last season, who can predict how the Niners will end up at the end of this season after the second game last year? I didn't give him a chance in hell. Go Niners. Uh, Jerry, you should have been here. Should have been here the whole time, man, because uh, we did give them a chance in hell. And we gave him a chance in hell the whole season. In fact, we were one of the, the very few content creators out there in the 49ers sphere that was saying, hey, uh, it's still too early to say that this team is done, the year is over, everything is lost. Um, this team is a play or two away every game from not only winning said football games, and but maybe completely flipping the script and dominating teams, and they did it. Yeah, we were, we were the ones sitting there saying, you know what, it's just lack of execution right now. You know, and, that's, and if you wanted to put the blame on Kyle Shanahan for lack of execution, you were able to do that. But it wasn't play calling. It wasn't any of those things. So once they figured out how to execute and Kyle Shanahan started using his players in a little bit of a different manner, including using uh, Debo Samuel, plus the reemergence of Jimmy Garoppolo coming off an injury. True. Uh, once he got to Chicago and he reasserted himself, there was an opportunity to make the, you know, for them to make a run. And we were kind of holding on the whole time as everyone said they were hanging off the cliff. We said, nah, they're right there. And they ended up proving us right and going ahead and getting it done. So I'm very appreciative of that. Agreed. Um, because we were out on a limb and people were giving us a lot of heat about it. And if they wouldn't have got it done, we would have, uh, we would have taken even more poo. That's uh, very true. <laughs> Kylie Salmon, the people's Browns are the best CBL team. Well, the people's Browns got absolutely shellacked by the commission. Are you really, do you, you, you know who Kyle is? Yeah. So I'm hundred percent aware. Of yeah. Who Kylie is. Yeah. yeah so I'm, I'm aware. I'm aware that there's some bias going on with that message. Yeah. I don't know. I'll eat some animal crackers and think about it. 
Good old animal crackers. Man. Yeah. It's good old animal crackers. Look, the People's Browns were not a bad CBL team. They, they really weren't. They were a solid CBL team who just didn't have enough gas in the tank to get through the end of the season. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, one day in your adult life, you will see a championship like my Warriors. You might be 90 when it happens, though, says Ha Ha. I saw four of them, and I, I've seen... I've yeah. seen one. I've seen four Super Bowls. Seen, it wasn't maybe it wasn't adult life, but I've seen them in my lifetime. Yeah. Um, I've seen you know a lot of championships from my team. So I mean, yeah, there you go. I hope, I hope hopefully they do. Hopefully the 49ers win yeah. a championship in my adult life. Uh, that would be that would be absolutely great if if they would did that this year. Uh, I fully agree, Kylie. Uh, who I'm not related to at all. <laughs> Caleb, I'm gonna call poppycock on all of that. That's nonsensical poppycock, a hundred percent. Because uh, you got to have faith, a faith, a faith, baby, says yeah. David Villa. There yeah, you go. welcome. And and how's it going, David Villa? I hope you're doing good. Gotta have, gotta have faith. Look, yeah. th- this team has been doing a lot of great positive things, and uh, they've been building this team in a very specific way. Um, and they've been doing it in, in a way that, that have, has, I don't want to say pissed people off, but definitely ruffled some feathers in the fan base because it felt like, you know, the easiest thing to do and the, the way to ensure you were a, Super Bowl contending front runner was to move off of Jimmy and then use that money to stockpile with tons of free agent talent. The Niners did not do that this time around, but we'll see if the experiment pays off this year. Then obviously, not only did you do the right thing, but you did the th- you did it you did it in such a way that you didn't necessarily hamstring yourself for the future. And if you just miss out yet again. Will that be the push that is necessary to put the 49ers in a position to be a little bit more aggressive going forward? Yeah, I mean, well, that's one of the conversations. And I was I was one of the ones that believed that as well, right? Move on from Jimmy Garoppolo, be able to spend that money in free agency and build a team around Trey Lance to take full advantage of his rookie pay scale. So I understand that completely. Uh, the one thing that's interesting is the 49ers have roughly $5 million in free cap space. And with that free cap space, that means they could sign extensions for Debo Samuel and Nick yeah. Bosa oh, yeah. uh, because you can lower their cap number to an amount this year that you know, you could push it down the line. So they're within reason and able to do anything they want to do with just $5 million on the books. So really, Jimmy Garoppolo hasn't hampered them maybe the way we thought because it could just be that if you eliminated the thought of Jimmy Garoppolo's contract, that the 49ers did everything they wanted to do during the offseason, and this is the way the team would have looked, whether Jimmy Garoppolo's number was on the books or not. Uh, That's definitely possible. It's definitely a possibility. We kept saying that maybe that was the case, that they were just going to let this thing kind of ride out and let this thing kind of happen the way it was supposed to happen. And, uh, you know, if if it happens earlier, sooner rather than later, great. We can be even more aggressive than we were planning to be. But if it doesn't happen the way we're expecting it to, if it doesn't play out quickly, if this thing drags out a little bit, then you know what? We're mostly prepared for that. We don't need to adjust anything that we're going to do. We're going to hold on to our draft picks. We're going to make a lot of selections, bring in a lot of young talent, bring back some veteran guys, uh, and bring them in on cheap deals and, and vet exemption salaries and to save us money. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I like the way that they've went about it the offseason. I mean, I, once I started getting the Jimmy Garoppolo thought process out of my head and that contract, then I started really engaging in what they were actually doing, and they were making very solid moves. Um, so I, I'm, I'm, enjoy, I'm enjoying so far what we've heard from the special teams coach, especially about Ray Ray McLeod, you know, and about some of the other guys that they added, because that means one third of the team is so much better. Um, so just continue to, to handle things the way that you're handling, and I like it. Hey man, from uh, from Homer's aunt to just not only Homer's but Stan's. That's that's what we've been doing over here. We've been going from Homer category to Stan category, and luckily for us, aunt, as we've been standing for our 49ers, they have answered the call yeah. every single time. So San Francisco 49ers front office players, coaches, thank you, thank you for uh, 
allowing me to continue in my stand-up. Yeah, I'm okay with being a 49er stand. Agreed. Yeah. I'm, I'm all right with it. I'm not, I'm not going to doubt it at all in any way whatsoever. Uh, look, this is extremely exciting. I'm, I'm excited about everything that's going to be going on with the San Francisco 49ers, including day three of minicamp, Ant. Yeah, day three is going to be fun. I'm curious to hear if we you know, find out any information from what goes on the field. I'm not sure about media availability. I don't think there is any. Um, so we're not going to get very much interview process, you know, and interview things from, you know, the coaching staff and the players, but I think we've gotten a lot. And the cool thing is tomorrow's Q and a, so everyone's going to be able to bring full, full questions. So get your questions together. Anything you guys want to talk about tomorrow's going to be the day. Let us know. It's going to be a fun conversation. I'm looking forward to putting a, a bow on this off season of, of practices, OTA slash mini camps and getting ready for the 40 plus days until training camp. But I think there's a lot of fun conversations that we're going to have along the way. Uh, very, very true. And tomorrow's going to be a lot of blast with Q&A. So have your questions ready. Have them loaded up. And uh, make sure that you're spraying those questions all throughout chat tomorrow. Because we're going to answer all of them, as many as possible. And while all that spraying of questions are going on, Jess always lets you know this. In fact, it's the pinned message. Super Chats, you're going to get it read. It's guaranteed 100% your Super Chat questions and anything you guys comment in Super Chat will get read barring absolutely someone abusing said system and to post naughty, naughty content that will not get repeated on the show. Uh, outside of that, you questions, anything you have to say will get read here on air. So if you want to guarantee it, Super Chat's the best way to do it. Yeah, Super Chat, it's a, it's a nice way to help out the program as well. Another nice way is to, you know, be a channel member or go over on Patreon. Those are the best ways to support. And Patreon today, we had slightly offsides, which if you're a part of, you know, the beginning of the show, we talked about a little bit because uh, me and Horst did our first, you know, live show. So if you want to be involved in that, you can now if you're a, a patron or a channel member. But also tomorrow on Patreon, episode two of Hit or Miss. Um, and I'm joined by my sister, Heather, and it is absolutely entertaining. I have fun with it. And so far, we've heard nothing but good comments. So if you like you know, something out of the box is different from some 49ers content. Hop over there and check it out. And uh, it, it's it's a lot of fun. We'll find out if there's a lot of hit, hits or a lot of misses <laughs> coming up. Um, there's there's usually a nice little balance, Ant. But uh, as you start going through more and more of these, it may tip one way or the other. Uh, and hit or miss may slowly, slowly evolve into one or more in either direction so you don't want to miss those make sure you hop over to hit or miss i'm excited about that yeah and this one this one we bring in the heat oh boy oh uh, so this one's a, a really good one uh there are moments where i i can't control my own laughter <laughs> in the show so it's a good one uh kndr with the hit or miss is a hit so there's that yeah kndr likes it uh kylie who you saw in chat earlier uh got a nice comment on, on it as well big so fan. yeah big fan so I'm, I'm i'm excited about that i wonder if it's just a sibling thing I don't know. It could be. We'll see. Be. <laughs> we'll see. But I mean, if you if you just even if you just want to see what's going on with the dynamic between me and my sister, check it out. It's it's pretty fun. It's a lot of fun. Don't miss out on any of that content over there on Patreon, and don't miss out on the content here. Subscribe if you haven't already. Hit that like button. Hit that notification bell if you have not already, and share the video with the rest of the faithful. That way, there's more of you tomorrow with tons of questions, so we can get to more questions like this one from David Monty Jennings. I hear is doing very well. Thoughts. Jennings has continued to develop. Jennings will continue to develop. And the fact that they are loving the way he's playing with leverage in his route running means a lot of positive things for him going forward and potentially a continual expansion of his role. Yeah, I think the fact that they're talking about Jennings and separation, that's one of the things that makes me excited because he's a guy that's not known as a guy that 
you know, could create separation because of the four, 4.7 four, speed coming out of Tennessee. The fact that he's able to do that, and Kyle Shannon said better than any other receiver, it makes me feel very confident about this receiver room because Ayuk, he said he's having the best offseason, looks the best he's looked. Jawan Jennings doing the same exact thing, and we all know Debo Samuel is who Debo Samuel is. I'm super excited about this room. You throw in the fact that you have Danny Gray taking the top off, True. and Ray Ray McLeod doing everything you want him to do. Uh, he's a slash kind of player, so I'm excited about this wide receiver room. This may be the most excited I've been about a wide receiver room, and that's saying a lot because I was a Jalen Hurd guy. He was a Jalen Hurd guy. In fact, last year was a lot of hype around the said wide receiver room up until he went down, and again, we'll see. We'll see what this wide receiver room looks like. Excited to see all the developments unfold. Excited to talk with you more tomorrow, answer more questions, and wrap up mandatory minicamp, Ant, as we then await the transition into training camp and the preseason. It's so, so close, and I'm excited about it. And Mr. Corey had asked about who would win a match between <laughs> us, and he says, Tom's. and the big boss man, Alex Tomzink. The funny thing oh about it, Lord. and Tomzink I like anyways, by the way, Mr. Corey, there is actually a picture of the boss man that looks so much like me. We posted it. It's boss man versus Hulk Hogan in a steel cage. And everyone actually thought it was me for a while. They actually legitimately yeah. did. They didn't realize. They thought it was part of the WWE. Uh, D-Will, you missed a lot of conversation, <laughs> but it's A-OK, -okay, man. We're wrapping up right now. Head on back. Watch the replay. And then make sure you're here tomorrow, 5 p.m. Pacific time, for live Q&A, day three of minicamp conversations. And any questions you have about minicamp coming up into training camp or just San Francisco 49ers. Wow. And, and Donald Johnson thinks that you would be better on the mic talking trash wow uh, uh, mm -mm. i don't know it would mm. be a good one it might be yeah i get to script it so yeah it would be okay yeah, alex yeah, is saying be. he's better so you know what's going to happen at some point we're gonna have to promo off uh, maybe maybe we'll see <laughs> we'll see what happens we'll see what happens tcc if you want to you know what here's an incentive if you want to see that 150 likes on the video yeah i went there 150 we're getting a couple. We're getting we're getting lots of views on these things. So 150 likes, and we'll do a promo off for you. So there you go. I love that. Now you got an incentive, TCC. Take care. Do your thing. Do your thing. Clip this. Send it off in the world. Get it done. Get it done, TCC. <laughs> Look, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, great conversations today. Yeah. We'll catch you tomorrow for more Q and A. Day three updates. Make sure you're here for 5 p.m. Pacific time. And until the next one, Ant, stay safe. And remember the right way is, is always, always the, the 49ers, 49ers way.